0: your Bibles now, that only took 11 minutes, not bad, not bad, and to open up them to Luke 19, Luke 19, beginning in verse 10, and last week Pastor Rory filled in the pulpit for us, and uh, why don't you let him know you love him, let him know you did a great job, he's in the back there, clap for him. So thankful for our staff here, for our pastors and uh, volunteers and and. And people that help make the church run, and, and for the different gifts and talents and call, uh, not everyone is called to teach, not everyone should teach, and uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible warns those who teach to take it very carefully, there's going to be a stricter judgment in the book of James 3, and so um, I'm so thankful when I asked Roy, hey, would you teach, He's, he was eager, yeah, I'll teach, I'd love to teach, and, and I remember when I began teaching at the Ashton Christian Fellowship, and Pastor Mark Anderson gave me a Wednesday night, you know, and I went up there, and, and I talked 17 times faster than I do right now, it was, it was, it was miserable, it was horrible, you know, and I was done in four minutes and, you know, and, you know, they're like, whoa, Luke, calm down, you know, and I still haven't yet calmed down, but I'm so thankful for the opportunity to teach and to grow. And, and CH uh, Spurgeon was asked one time, how do you make a great preacher? Because he was the prince of preachers and the teacher of pastors. How do you make a great preacher? And he said, you make a great preacher by giving him a great congregation. Okay, a congregation who's gracious and wants Jesus and wants to learn and and is there for a holistic purpose, not just one person or relationship or putting one person above another, but instead for the kingdom of God. And so I appreciate you guys being such a great congregation for loving on Rory and letting him teach. Look at verse 10, and I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to pray. This is where Rory ended. He said, for the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Stop right there, I here. Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house. He just had lunch there, mind-blowing everybody, all the critics and cynics, like, what's he doing? He's saving Zacchaeus. He has his life radically changed. Jesus, with a smile on his face, says again in verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And right then he began to look at the crowd, his boys, and they had a glimmer in their eyes. Oh, we're going to Jerusalem. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I bet you the kingdom of God is coming next. He knew that's what they were thinking. He knew that's what they were hoping. He knew that's what they wanted. As a matter of fact, fast forward about 50 days from now. Actually, we'll call it 47 days from this saying. 47 days from this saying is Acts chapter 1, verse 6 where Jesus is ascending into heaven. And right when he's ascending, the disciples ask him, are you now going to restore Israel to its glory? And even then, Jesus looks at them and says, did I stutter? (sighs) He doesn't really say that, but something similar. All they wanted was Jesus to restore Israel to its glory, right then and there. They wanted him to wrap up the program. They wanted him to expediate the things of the end times and restore Israel to its glory. And there's something within each and every one of us that actually wants this to happen. We want the Lord to wrap things up, hurry things up. Lord, aren't you going to get things going? And it's with that in mind that the Lord tells them this next parable. With those who want the end to come, okay? Those who are, let me say it differently, those who are okay with God wrapping things up. Those who believe that Jesus is good and great and grand and he is indeed a king and he one day will return and restore this land to its rightful position, That is in glory. And yet, if you're like me, when you got saved, (gasps) you're still here. There's still a battle. How many of you guys think it would be so radical if you got saved, you immediately got evacuated out of earth? Like, I got saved. Well, I'm out of here. You know, just, ah, you get to be gone to glory right away. I think that would be so legit. Well, they didn't ask my opinion. And so instead, he says, no, I'm going to save you. And then listen, then I'm going to sanctify you. You're saved once. You're done. You're good. Man, you are good to go. It's like bumper bowling. You ever been bumper bowling before? It's so fun. You throw that ball over hand, you know, and behind your feet, you know. It doesn't matter. You're not going to get a gutter. You're good. And yet God says in life and in your singleness and in your marriedness and in your child raising and in your childlessness and in your old days and in your young days and in your trials and in your blessings and all of that, I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to produce in you fruit. And I'm going to produce in you joy and, and the fruits of the Spirit and precious stones and diamonds. And I'm doing stuff in you. If you're like me, you're saved. So stoked. But you're still getting worked on. There's still things that the Lord is peeling back, the Lord's still exposing things. He's still growing stuff in you. You ever gardened before? Man, what a deal. You guard, I mean, It takes so long, you just work so hard to get everything out and Then you got to put stuff in the soil and Then you just sit there and stare at the dirt You're like, what? I'm hungry now And So you go to Clearwater and get lunch, you know And the Lord says about you and me He's growing stuff in you right now He's doing stuff And even while Jesus is still in verse 10 Come to seek and to save that which is lost That's his prime main focus He's come to do just that And he wants us to understand that because if you don't understand that, you also will lose focus. You'll forget what life's all about. You'll do weird things. You'll do lesser things. You'll do wrong things if you don't know why we're here. Jesus, look at verse 11. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, fulfilling all things, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Would you bow your heads and pray? We're gonna ask God to take our hearts and minds to do with them what he wants and to sow in us a focus of eternity so you can be the best man or the best woman God has wanted you to be. So you can be fully dedicated and surrendered to him, open to his gardening right now in your heart and he would grow in you stuff. That's the best news you're gonna hear all day. He will accept you just as you are and he will grow in you that which you lack. So Father, in Jesus' name, now we bow our heads and we pray and we ask, Lord, a blessing on this time in your word. That, Lord, you would inspire us. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, for reproof. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Jesus, we thank you for your promise over your word. And we pray that it would be blessed to us and we would become a blessing to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your laser focus that we saw established in Luke 9.51 that you set your face to Jerusalem. And now 10 chapters later, we see you there. We thank you, Jesus. Give us focus today. I pray for teaching mercies and for listening mercies. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Jesus says again, for the Son of Man, verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And understanding what Jesus is about is gonna help you and me stay focused on what we should be about. If you know what Jesus is about, You will know what your life is to be about. How many of you guys think that if you know what Jesus is focused on, you'll know what you should focus on, what he's interested in? Let me ask a different question. Have you ever lost focus before? (laughs) Why are you laughing? You ever just forgot what life's about? I mean, this happens on the daily. I get texts and calls and emails and messages all week long from people needing to be reminded and encouraged in the battles that they face because they just lost focus just for a minute. And if you're honest, you lose focus all day long. You're constantly re-navigating and re-articulating your direction. And we forget, we lose focus. Matter of fact, sometimes we choose to lose focus. I remember when I went to college back in 1997, I enrolled at SOU, and I truly, this is an honest confession, I had no uh, actual purpose being there, and I had no intention on finishing my education or growing my academic studies at all. I was actually just running from the Lord. And so when I would meet students there at SOU they were actually there to read books, go to class, pass classes, and get a, a degree, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Can we be friends? And they're like, no, you know, you're the devil. And I was not a good friend of those who were there on purpose. They were who were focused. And we've all lost our focus on purpose. Where we've been critical and cynical and, and rebellious from the Lord. Here's the deal, though. What you focus on will determine what you spend your time on. This is a principle. What are you focusing on right now? What's important to you? What are you doing? What are you about? What's, what's your biggest dream? That is indeed what you'll wake up and pursue for right or wrong. What, what are you focused on right now? The Bible actually says that when we lose our focus, we do dumb stuff. Proverbs 28, uh, or twenty-nine, eighteen says that where there's no focus or revelation, people cast off restraint. We just start doing silly things. The crazy part is we live in a a culture that wants us to focus on other things. They've done studies that reveal that on any given day, the average person will be faced with and make 35,000 decisions per day. Can you imagine that? The average person, 35,000 split decisions. Some of them are a little longer. Like, well, I wonder if I should get the pastrami or if I should get, you know, a little more intense decisions. Some are just quick. 35,000 decisions a day. How many guys at the end of the night are, you're tired? You're fatigued? You're like... Man, as a matter of fact, they call it decision fatigue, where you can't even figure out if you want this or that. And somebody asks you a simple question, you're like, I I don't know, because you're actually tired of making decisions. They've done studies on children, and they've revealed that children make an average of 3,000 decisions per day. A bunch of babies, man. 35,000 for adults. Kids are just in la-la land, man, easy decisions. And anyways, they grow, and they get exposed to more and more. Studies also show that the average adult is exposed to 5,000 ads per day. Okay, not just decisions we make, but there's 5,000 things kind of creeping in on you saying, take this, buy this, go here, see this, do that, click this. And even more so now that we have computers in our, in our pockets and you pull out the internet and you're there. And if, even if you go to one website, there's enough ads on that one website to bring that total up even more. And here's my question. Here's my question. How are you going to stay focused? Maybe a different question. Do you, do you know you can stay focused? Here's the third question, have you lost your focus? And the way to stay focused, okay, on Jesus and his kingdom is to seek first his kingdom and to get to know Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. This is elementary, this is basic. And yet if you're like me, you get distracted, you get fatigued, you get worn out. And yet the Bible calls itself a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And lamps and lights for our feet and path, those help us stay focused during our prayer time. We pray every morning on Sundays at 8.30. You're all welcome to join us for that time. Doug was praying up here, and he was thanking God for the word. That the word of God throughout the week, not just on Sundays, that's not enough word. But the word throughout the week is a glue that keeps us bound to the Lord so we don't lose focus. It's a lamp, it's a light. The other day, I think it was Monday, I read Proverbs and I read the Psalms. And then I read the whole book of 2 Timothy. I, just, I, just, I told my kids, you can't get up until 7 a.m. You have to stay in bed, otherwise you're grounded. <laughs> I actually didn't say you're grounded, but I said don't get up. And so, so I had just time you know, to, to just read and, and, and get into God's word. I'm so thankful for that, just time in his word. And that's how you're going to stay focused in a world that won't allow you to stay focused naturally. 5,000 ads just the rest of this day. 35,000 decisions. You need to stay focused. Jesus here sets the focus in verse 10. Hey guys, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. They immediately begin to build ideas in their minds saying, oh, he's gonna do this now and he's gonna do that now. And so instead of letting us drift, he tells a parable. Now a parable is a little story that illustrates a big idea. It's just a little fake story that helps us understand a principle of God that does not change. It helps us to understand, what is God doing? Because if you're like me, you forget, you go all over the place, there's a pull on your focus. That's actually why we gather on Sundays and throughout the week, that's why we stay focused and encourage each other. You know, people get lost. As a matter of fact, I was uh, texting with some people earlier this week and even last night, I absolutely lost focus, absolutely forgot what it was all about. I, I might not even know if they, they knew what it was about to begin with, dealing with some of these people. And yet I can see it so clearly. Oh, you're de- this is your, your emotion you're going through right now, and this is the, the choices you're making. Both are wrong. And when I zoom out and I see what I call the grand meta narrative, which is the whole story from beginning to end, what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation, <laughs> all of this makes sense. All of those 35,000 decisions per day, I find then a tutor in my ear telling me how to make those decisions, what to believe and what not to believe, what's true and what's not true. You guys realize that there's a war for truth and light, right, But lies in darkness, and not everything is right. We lose focus. That's why I'm so glad you guys are here, hopefully getting encouraged. Uh, yesterday, I went to Fred Meyers. You guys ever go to Fred Meyers before? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's listening. You, you, ever, you ever go to Fred Meyers during Thanksgiving week? Careful, careful. My advice to you is to go at 7 when they, when they uh, you know, open. Go at that. Don't go, like, at 11. Don't go at 12. Don't go at 4. Don't go at 5. That's Crazyville. Crazyville. Go in the morning or late at night. But anyways, that's my advice. So yesterday I went to Fred Myers, though, and when I go to Fred Myers, I see about 20 people that I know, okay? 20 people engage me, and I talk to them, and it's usually awesome. Yesterday I was actually pumped, and, and, and I started talking to people, and then I, I got in line, and a guy that I didn't even know started talking to me. You know, I'm like, is this really happening? Like, I talked to everyone I do know. Now you want to talk to me, and it made me start praying for the rapture, you know, right then and there, and Lord, just take me now, and uh, it was actually cool, though, what happened, it was actually really cool, it was, it was a husband and a wife, and he turned back, and he looked at my kids, and, and he said, wow, three kids, you know, and he said, you need to slow down, <laughs> and I said, hey, I, I said, I, I agree, I said, I'm retired, and he said, "You're retired. What'd you do for living to retire so young?" I said, "No, no. I'm retired from making kids." I said, <laughs> "I said, I'm, no, no, no." And so, and I was, it got real personal, real quick, you know. And I said, "No, I'm, I, 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 no, I don't." Anyways, I said, "I didn't. I'm not retired." I said, "I'm a pastor. I, 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 pastored a church." And he said, "Oh, my wife and I just moved here from somewhere." And he didn't even ask what church. And and he said they live in Yahats or, or somewhere. They bought a piece of property and. And then his eyes began to twinkle and he started talking about the Lord, which I didn't, didn't expect because he didn't, didn't want to know anything else about my pastoring. Instead, he started telling me about the Lord. And I began to listen. And he was looking not at me, but past me, talking about the goodness of God and what God wants from us. And the Lord wants love and he wants compassion. And he wants us to be thankful and to be generous and kind. And, and he began, and, and I, I started feeling the presence of the Lord right there at Fred Myers talking to a stranger. I'd already seen 20 of my best friends and and, he, and then he began to sense the presence of the Lord. And you could tell, he's like, whoa, the Lord. And we got focused, and his wife was just waiting. She, you could tell she knew that this was going to take a minute. You know, she, she's married to him, like, oh, yeah, here we go, here we go. Sorry, everyone. And, and yet I had to, I just, I sat there. I'm a pastor. I could, I could respond. I could intervene. I could say something, too. I just listened. I said, thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Because it had been a busy day, and I had an even busier afternoon and an even busier evening. And if you're like me, you lose focus. You forget what it's all about. And there at Fred Myers during Thanksgiving week, talking to a perfect stranger, the Lord blessed me with the man who loved him and said, Hey, not even in a preachy way, but a blessing way. And if you're honest, you're like, Lord, don't let me lose focus. Don't let me lose focus. It was good, and I felt the Lord. Because life happens we get distracted. How many of you guys have life happen yesterday? Was life happening yesterday in your world? Man, it's going to happen tomorrow too. Jesus wants us to remember what he's about. Seeking and saving the lost. He wants you and I to use our days, to use our dollars, and use our deeds to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to make an impact on others while living our life. This is precisely what Jesus says in the next verses. I'm actually gonna read a lot of this parable and then circle back around. Read verse 11, just rip through. It says, now as they heard these things, they're at Zach's house, they're hanging out. He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. They thought this was all done. He's like, no, no you got to live your life. you got to go to Fred Meyers. you got to raise these kids. you got to be you. Well, how do I do that? Here's how. Verse 12. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants. That's you and that's me. And he delivered to them ten minas. That's a form of money. And he said to them, do business till I come. Verse 14. But his citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. These are what we would consider non-believers. This nobleman is going to receive a kingdom. He has servants, that's believers, you and I, and he equips us in his stead while he's gone, and he says, get busy, do work, and while he's gone, there is those on the attack against him, just as we see in our culture today. Verse 15, and so it was, my favorite verse in this parable, and so it was when he returned having received the kingdom, that should be circled, highlighted, thought through, Jesus telling a parable with great certainty of the end from the beginning. He comes back with his kingdom. He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Well, then the first came saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas, a thousand percent increase. You gave me one mina, here's 10 minas back. This is exorbitant and exponential return on investment. And he said to him in verse 17, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful and very little, have authority over ten cities. This king now is dispersing gifts, verse 18. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas, a 500% increase. Whoa! This guy was given one mina. He did business. He stayed focused. When the king returned, he gave him back a 500% increase. Verse 19, Likewise, he said, You shall be over five cities. Verse 20, another came saying, master, here's your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit, you reap what you did not sow, and the the king, the nobleman, verse 22, said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Whoa. And he said to those who stood by, take that mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they, but they said to him, Master, here he already has 10 minas. Sounds like my kids. But dad, you know. <sighs> For I say to you, verse 26, that to everyone who has will be given that is those who are faithful will be given more to be faithful over your faithfulness and stewardship your responsibility and reliability will only lead to more faithfulness stewardship reliability and responsibility that's the way it works he goes on to give a warning though a stern warning and from him who does not have that is him who loses focus doesn't live his life for the king even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 27, but bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This is one of the most intense parables that Jesus could pick to teach just seven days before his crucifixion. He's about to die. His words with his disciples are very few that he has left to offer them. And he sees within their hearts and minds, maybe it's all going to be wrapped up. Maybe this whole thing's going to make sense now, and we're going to be done. He's like, time out. You're the opposite of done. I'm going away. I'm the nobleman. I will secure a kingdom for myself, and I will return. While I'm gone, though, I'm going to give you each a mina. Now, a mina in that day would be the equivalent of three months' worth of wages in that day. So if you were to take our average on the coast here, let's call it $3,500 per household, give or take income, that would equal about $10,000. Every servant is given in this parable $10,000 to invest. The first servant takes that $10,000, turns it into 10 minus. The king returns, he says, you gave me $10,000, here's $100,000 in return. He says, that is incredible, good job, well done. Here are 10 cities for you. And he gives him now an increase, not just 10 minus, 10 cities, and so on and so forth until he gets to the final guy who said, you know what? I just kind of didn't do anything. The crazy part to me is at the end there, he blames God for his inability to do something with the mina. He uses a string of excuses. I knew you were an austere man. I knew you were serious. I I just, I put it in a handkerchief. I kind of, I didn't do anything. And sometimes the worst sin you can commit in your life is not doing what you're supposed to do. Christianity goes down in history currently as people who don't do a lot of things. Okay? We don't do this. We don't do that. We're against that. We're against this. Against that. You know, and I understand all that. There is rules. We are against a lot of stuff. Wouldn't it be awesome if Christianity became more famous for what we're for, what we do? how we spend our time, our days, dollars, and deeds. He says, that's important that you don't do worldly things. Duh. But what he instructs you and I to do is to be about seeking and saving the lost in one way, shape, or another. About investing and finding a return for what God has given to you and me. Now, if you study the Bible in Matthew 25, there's a very similar parable, but it's very different. So different is the parable in Matthew 25 that it is a different parable with similarities. It's the parable of the talents. You guys remember the parable of the talents? One person is given five talents, one person is given two talents, and one person is giving one talents. And it's the same results. The five guy doubles, the two guy doubles, and the one guy freaks out and buries it and doesn't do anything. The difference that is very important that you get right here. This is going to change your entire life. In this parable, everyone gets equal minus. Equal. Everyone gets the exact same. And yet in the parable in Matthew, everyone's given a different set of talents. Let me ask you a question. Have you noticed that we're all talented at different levels? Have you noticed that there are people more talented than you in this world? Okay, God did that. Have you noticed that there are people in this world less talented than you? Eating paint chips did that, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just a little little humor there. And I was tripping out about this the other day. Every one of us have a different number of talents. Each one of us have the exact same amount of minas. The minas would be our days. Okay, I don't know about you, but I have 24 hours in a day. I have the exact same that you do. Uh, minas would be the grace of God. I have the exact same amount of grace of God in my life that you do. God's grace is sufficient for my It's right there. I, I, have, I have the same word of God that you do. If you're living in a free country, not everyone has the exact same amount of the word of God, but we have the word of God. Have you ever heard someone say, I can't read the Bible, I just don't understand it? Did you know you have 24 hours in a day, and the grace of God, and the presence of God, and the power of God to figure out how to read this book? There's, there's actually zero excuse, not an excuse in the world, for you not to know God, his plan, his purpose, and his power. We, have, we all have, and we're going to be held accountable. And he's going to say, I gave you each, mine is all the same, and you could, ex- you, could, you could protest and say, that guy had more talent than me. He'll be held accountable for the talent he or she had, and the talent you and I have. Some are given five. Five talented individuals. They're CEOs, book writers, authors. Those walking in apostolic ministries, men and women, game changers, big wigs. Okay, those are five. Ta- I've I've I i i do not even know if I, I've met a couple five talented people. They got them all. It's crazy. There's other people with four talents, three talents, two talents, one talent. The key is, is in your talent, what do you do with that because you have the same amount of minas, the same amount of time or minutes in the day to invest what God has given to you. And it's easy if you've not done this yet before to make excuses why you don't, how you can blame God or blame others. I was just fearful or scared. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to fail. Don't raise your hand, but anybody have the fear of failure? I just don't want to try. I don't want to start a life group at my house. Why not? Well, I don't know. I don't really like people. I don't, I don't want to fail. You know that Reggie Jackson, famous baseball player, not Jesse Jackson, he's a politician, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson is number 14. He actually just went down. He was number 13 in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He was number 13 for the home-runningest baseball player in the world. Okay, he got knocked down to number 14 recently. Can you imagine being the top 20 home-runningest baseball players in the world? And yet Reggie Jackson... Finds himself at the leaderboard forever and all eternity of those who have been struck out the most of all baseball players. Swing and a miss. swinging and a miss. Swing and a miss. Sit down. Do you know how you become the top 20 home runningest baseball player? Swing at everything. Okay. You go down swinging hard. And there are people. At, how, how many of you guys have swung and a miss? Swung and a miss. Swung and a miss. Only to find yourself sitting in the dugout. Uh, you know, didn't work. That ministry, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was a business idea. It just didn't work. What are you going to do? You're you're up to bat again. You have another opportunity to invest. There's more ministries at your church. There's more things to do. Your your king is coming. He's gone away, and he's secured a kingdom, and he's given to you minas, and he's given to you talents, all varying, and yet at the same time equal. And you can't look at one guy and say, well, he's he's not your problem. They're not your problem. And this message is what Jesus chose to teach his boys seven days before he would be killed. Right after he risked it all, calling Zacchaeus down from the tree, inviting him over to somebody's house. (laughs) Have you ever invited yourself to someone's house before? It's rude. Jesus wanted to save that man. And he gives this parable for you and I to consider That we might study it and remind ourselves that Jesus is returning. And until he returns, we're to do stuff. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's funny. And actually, it's cool. Like, yeah, he is coming. Not like this minute. Although he could come this minute. Let me give you a little thought. What if you lived every single day as if Jesus was returning today? Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you another thought. What if you lived every single year, though, as if Jesus wasn't coming for 100 years? Let me use two different words. What if you lived like he was coming back today, but what if you planned like he was coming back in 100 years? As a matter of fact, I would say that. If you live every day with the expectation of his soon return, you will have direct access to peace, joy, purpose, focus, power, pleasure, protection. If you live every day with the anticipation of his soon return. 1 John 3.3 3 says that those who have the hope of his revealing purify themselves. There's something legit that happens when you wake up every day going, Dude, dude, it could be today. Because you know what? It could be today. There is nothing in the prophetical annals of the history books that say must happen before Christ returns. He could return today. And yet he asks us to stay busy until he returns. And he flips the other side of the coin and says, I want you to live with an anticipation, an expectation, an excitement. I want you to be fired up. And if you're depressed right now, it's because you don't think Jesus could return today. If you've lost focus, if you don't know what's going on, if you're distracted or you're overwhelmed, it's because you don't think Jesus could return today. You, you've lost focus on that key element. And if you believe that Jesus could return today, it will change your today. But he asks us then to stay busy. Let me, let me say it this way and play the devil's advocate. How many generations have lived their lives believing Jesus could return today? Okay? Billions and billions and billions of humans have woken up every day with their rapture shoes on got him on, you know, doing rapture practices, you know, know. take me Lord. Billions have lived that way. That is the mindset we are commanded to have, okay? Some cynic or critic or thinker in here is like, why should I think he's coming back today? Because I thought he was coming back yesterday. He didn't come back yesterday. I feel like a fool living like he's coming back today when he didn't come back today. And how many other people? Here's what he wants you to think. He wants you to live like he's coming back today because it'll change everything. It'll change everything. Your depression, your focus. It'll change everything, your love. If he's coming back today, it's going to purify you, First John 3, 3. But he wants us to plan like he's not coming back for 100 years. He wants us to invest. He wants us to be mindful of the next generation. He wants us to have purpose that goes beyond today and into tomorrow. And he commands us, I'll be back when, not telling you, could be today. But plan like it's not for 100 years. And this will allow you to then be a good steward over your minus and your talents, over everything that God's given to you to invest the days, the dollars, the deeds. You will have a purpose for them. Jesus said in verse 10, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm here doing. What are you guys doing? And today could be the day where you repent of your foolish ways, your lesser ways, and start to get on a path that says, Lord, would you give me focus for today and for the next hundred years? Okay, this, this changes everything. This allows us to then be those who invest in our next generation. This speaks to you who are adults who maybe should have a savings account or a, a college account for yourself or for your children. Even if it's small, start small. Okay, this speaks of life insurance and disability insurance and, and, and health insurance and, and, and homeowner's insurance. Maybe you don't own a home yet. You know, I'm just waiting to go home. I remember one time I sat in a meeting with a bunch of other Christians, and we were talking about retirement, okay, and this was about 15 years ago, and 15 years ago, I was only five. <laughs> nah, that's not true, not true. But I was young. I was young, and I remember sitting there with my brother-in-law, Elijah, who I just was hanging out with last week in Bend, and, And they were all talking, these older Christians on staff at the Ashton Christian Fellowship. And they were putting together these retirement funds. And they asked us if we wanted a portion of our paycheck taken out and put in a retirement fund. And Elijah and I said, why would we do that? Jesus is coming back tomorrow, you know. And they looked at us with wide eyes. They said, that's what we thought too, you know. Now we've got nothing, you know. Whoa, you know. Wouldn't it be awesome if you dis- I remember when I, uh, my wife and I had Noah, uh, our first child, and my pastor, Mark Anderson, took me into his office and said, do you have life insurance yet? And I said, no, I don't have life insurance. You know, I'm not really going to use that. And he said, you need to go get life insurance. You need to buy life insurance for your wife if you unfortunately die. Get the amount of life insurance that would give you your current paycheck for the next 18 years so your wife doesn't have to worry about income, okay? Go buy that amount, and I went and bought life insurance. And Jesus asks us to invest and have this kind of kingly mindset. Now, some people are in here right now thinking to yourself, I don't know if I like this kind of idea. I love thinking about Jesus returning right now, but I don't necessarily see how to invest in the future, and yet throughout the scriptures, we see this. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there are three primary offices of leadership over any a nation. There are prophets, priests, and kings. Okay, the prophets come forth with the word of God, the truth of God, the correction of God, the order of God, and the prophets, man. We got some prophets in this room. All you want to do is talk about Bible study. You want to dissect the scriptures. You want to get in the word. It's all about the word this and the word that, and, and I love the prophets, Then there are other people in the nations of the Old Testament that are the priests. And the priest's job was to take care of the people, make sure that they're healed and ministered to and accounted for, and the sacrifices go up on behalf of their sins and their heart ministry, and people are okay. And we've got priests in this church that aren't so much into necessarily the word and the doctrine and the format, but they just want to know, are you doing okay? How are you doing? Are you doing okay? We should have life groups. We should love each other. And there's the priests. And then there's kings. Kings. In every culture, and the kings come along and they say, look, we got to get some freeways in here. we got to get the plumbing going. we got to get an infrastructure. We need savings. We need a store for this, and we need to do that. And it's highly, at times, unspiritual, but it organizes teams and developments and strategies. And there's people in here. You come to church, and you're always looking through the scriptures for kingly ideas. How can I run my business better? How can I run my home better? How can I be a better citizen? How can I vote? And you're kingly. Jesus, I need you to get this, is the only person in all of history that is both prophet, priest, and king. All three. He is the full package. He is a king in his leadership and his development and his delegation and how he commands us to live our lives. Not only is he a king, but he's also a priest. He intercedes on behalf of our hearts and he ministers those sacrifices and he loves us, but he's also a prophet. And he speaks the truth, and he's not afraid to pick a fight, not afraid to stand on a platform. As a matter of fact, it would be interesting to study you for a day and figure out what makes you most excited. Is it the kingly passages? Like we see here, this is a kingly passage. There's not a lot of prophecy necessarily. There's not a lot of ministry here. As a matter of fact, at the very end, he says, by the way, all my enemies, they're done. And all the kings are like, yeah, you had that coming. you know. And, and the, the priests are like, time out. Didn't they have a time? And they did have a time. They had ample time to get with the program. Just like right now people would challenge or question, why hasn't God returned? What's going on? And the book of First Peter says, God is not slow in his return, as some count slowness or slackness. But instead, he is patient and long-suffering, not willing, listen, that any should perish. He's a king, and he has ordered the kingdom events, and he is coming. But until then, he is a priest that intercedes daily on behalf of you and me and the lost. And not only is he a priest, but he's the living word. He's the prophet that has gone before you and gone before me. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. This, again, is Jesus. He is that king. He has a kingdom that he has established. I like this. And he will return. I hope you trip out on this every once in a while. I hope you sit there drinking your decaf or whatever you do and hanging out and just chill with a journal and just think, for real, Lord, you could crack open the sky. You're coming back. Every prophecy that the Lord has foretold thus far has happened, okay? The Bible is over one-third prophecies, and almost half of them have already been fulfilled, which is impossible. It's impossible to write a book of prophecies and expect them to be fulfilled unless God says, I'll do it. And he says, I will return. And when you believe in that and have that hope and trip out on that, it will change everything. Verse 13, he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minus, and said, do business till I come. Some of your verses say, occupy thus. Do business. Get involved. Get excited. Show up. Do things. Be kingly. Organize. Manage. Invest. And I would just pray some of us would do that and get focused. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to rule and reign over us. Now this little caveat that Jesus includes in this parable I think is important because not all citizens love Jesus. In fact, some hate him and despise him and will not live their lives for him or desire his rule over them. You realize that's how it is in today's culture, don't you? I'm just so blessed to be here on a Sunday with all you guys. There's so many people here, It's crazy. Because every once in a while I, I feel I feel alone. Or, or like a fish out of water. You ever feel that tension? Like like you're a servant of the king. You know him and he knows you and, and, and I know and we're on a team. But every once in a while you just kind of feel like there are people that hate your king. Yeah, or that they even hate you and they don't maybe because they just don't love Jesus. I feel that tension. I feel that tension. And Jesus said, that's how it's going to be. He says in verse 15, though, I want you to see this. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom again. This is the prophecy that Jesus has gone away. He's established his kingdom. As a matter of fact, let me just read to you in John 14. This is so cool. John 14, Jesus says something crazy. And he says this after this teaching. John 14 is on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane to die. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. I'm so thankful for Thomas, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. (laughs) And how can we know the way? Jesus is just flowing. Where I go, you know. He's like... No, we don't know anything. Jesus says, John 14, 6, one of the most famous portions of scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus had just said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm building homes. I'm doing. I'm establishing my kingdom. I am the nobleman. I will return. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 15, he says, "Call those that he might know how much every man gained by trading." And they came first, saying, "Master, your mina has earned you ten minas. Here's your ten thousand bucks back, plus another hundred grand on top." He said to him, "Well done, good servant. You were faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you shall be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept, put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you. And that, that's not the good kind of fear. You should have a fear of the Lord. This is not the kind of fear we're looking for. He gives some more excuses. You're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He he has a list of excuses. And by the way, his list of excuses, I'm not sure what he's even saying because I'm not there to ask him what he means, but they sound spiritual. We can, on accident, listen, please, not do for the Lord anything because of our hyper spirituality. We say, I'm just not going to get involved in an organized religion. I've seen too much damage done. I'm not going to give to a church. Those churches have plenty of money. I'm not going to get involved in in a ministry. We know that there's corruption somewhere in there. And and we we take our days, our dollars and our deeds, and we spiritualize things. And we wrap them up and just keep them to ourselves. And the Lord here, as gracious as God is, he's gracious. He says, "You, you did what with your life? I gave you mina, and I gave you Talent. Can you imagine that if you were to contact your investment firm at the end of five or six years of sending them money, and say, "What are we doing? What, where, where are we at?" Oh, we've just been taking your money and putting it in a drawer. <laughs> you did? <laughs> Wait, you did what? Yeah, I think. Where is that money, anyways? What the heck, you know? Yeah, we'll find it. It's no big deal. <laughs> what? You would be irate. This is not how it works. And God is going to return one day. He's going to return. He's going to say, you did what? And this isn't supposed to be a fearful parable necessarily unless, unless you need it to be one. Because you're going to die. I taught at the Oregon State University real-life college retreat in Sun River all last weekend. Over 200 people showing up every session Five or six sessions it was powerful in my very first session I said guys I've got bad news for you you're all gonna die like you're gonna die this is so short and, and there's things that we're excited about right now in life that on, on the scale the spectrum of eternity this life is but a millimeter okay of the billions of miles of eternity and you and I, I guarantee you, if you're like me, there are things that you're excited about, you're investing in, you're hoping in, you're, you're going for, that the Lord will look at you and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Well, this is so awesome, Lord. This is such a, no, no, no. Don't spiritualize it. Don't. And the Lord would say, guys, don't get so preoccupied with this world. You know what he says to these guys when he comes back? Oh, cool. Give me, my, give me back my minus. Good job. Here's now 10 cities for you. This speaks of eternity with the Lord. Do you guys know that heaven is not going to be a bunch of you and me's standing around with half-grown wings playing a harp fat and on a cloud. You guys know that's not heaven, right? That's hell. <laughs> just so you know like You know what I'm saying? Like ah, I can't even play a harp. Imagine heaven like this. Imagine heaven just like this world with two differences. Absolutely zero sin. Okay, no death, no disease, no suffering, no pain, none. And one other inclusion, the absolute presence of God himself. I don't know if that's how you look at the world. Do you look at heaven as being very, 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 very different than earth? Like completely different with like half-grown wings and like just, I think that heaven will be just like earth, cities, communities, people, sports groups, things, entertainment, no sin, and God's full presence. It is going to be fantastic. It is going to be fabulous. And he says, guys, don't get too distracted. Don't lose your focus here. I'm going to give you mindless and talents. I'm going to give you stuff you don't even deserve. Life happens so quick. The guy in the grocery store reminded me that yesterday. He said, slow down, bro. Slow down. They grow so fast. Life happens so quickly. And Jesus here warns this guy. Verse 22, out of your own mouth I will judge you. That's crazy. I've talked to people before about hell, and they say, why is God so mean sending people to hell? And so God doesn't send anybody to hell. It is out of their, their own mouths that people will go to hell. People who have rejected God and said, I will not have you rule and reign over me. I will not invest wisely. They choo- people choose to go to hell. You have to step over Jesus' dead body into hell. And Jesus would say, not unless you step over my dead body. And people Do. And Jesus, this parable, says, oh, you, you condemn yourself. Nobody's going to go to hell that doesn't deserve it or, in all honesty, want it. Because hell is the absence of God. I don't want God ruling over me. We see that at the end here. And a whole group of people is punished. Look what Jesus says to him. He says, you knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Verse 23, why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming I might have at least collected it with interest. I could talk about that, but I'm not going to. Jesus says in verse 24, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minus. Look at this, this pushback in verse 25. They said to him, master, here he has 10 minus. I say to you that everyone who has will be given And people would say, this isn't fair. Do you you see the unfairness of this? He already has 10. He gets another one? That's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. It's wise. Listen, please. Jesus, the noble king, looks at this person, this servant, this man or woman today that has been faithful with what he's been given, and that faithfulness leads to the opportunity to be faithful over even more. Jesus said, come into your glory. Glory you will be put over 10 cities because you've been faithful with little. Do you know that's how it works? Nobody is born with responsibility. The only responsibility you have is to keep your diaper on, okay? (laughs) And once you master that, okay, you're allowed to take it off and put underwear on. And once you master that, there's more responsibilities given. You realize that. Nobody starts out the CEO. Nobody starts out in charge. Nobody starts out the quarterback. Nobody starts out the boss. Your faithfulness will determine further opportunities for faithfulness. This is a principle now and a principle in the kingdom of God. This is good news for you who want to stay focused right now. Did you know the most important part of your life right now is right now? Your faithfulness right now in your marriedness or your singleness, and your homelessness, your joblessness, Your business, your faithfulness right now will determine what happens next. And you could resist and bucket the system and say, I don't like this right now. I don't want this diaper. I want this. And God would say, prove yourself faithful, okay? And I will advance you. I look at my life where I'm at right now and I think, Lord, you have been so faithful. You have been so faithful. I have been faithless and you've remained faithful still. And I've showed up to the best of my ability and you've picked me up. And I keep showing up and I just keep showing up. And I'm like Reggie Jackson. I have a lot of sit-downs. I sit down a lot Okay. Lord, that didn't. Lord, that didn't work. Did anybody see it? Yeah, bro, the internet's a real thing. You know, oh, gr- you know, what do I do now? You're, you're up to bat again soon. Okay, okay. And I look at my life with my wife and my three kids and my house and my cars and where I'm at right now. I'm thinking, I didn't start that way. Faithfulness. It's a principle, and God says, be faithful. Right now, the most important day you'll ever, ever, ever have is the day that's before you right now. And he says, take that which has been unfaithful and give it to the one who's faithful. Give it to him. You know how to get stuff done? You ask a busy person to do it. (laughs) Busy people do stuff, they're responsible. The more you do, the more you'll get. The less you do, even what you have will be taken away. I, I, I hate to close on a sour note, but look at verse 27. Jesus ends on a warning, but bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This will happen. There will be a day where those who do not want Jesus as their king will not have Jesus as their king. He will give to them what they want. Until that day, though, the good news is you can repent. Until that day, you and I can go to Zacchaeus's house and to seek and to save the lost. This is why South Beach Church exists. This is why we're doing what we're doing because until the king returns, we are investing our talent and our minas, our days and our dollars in the king that is returning. And we're seeking and saving the lost, feeding people on Wednesday, partnering with every agency in town we can possibly think of, doing anything we can, exhorting you and I to stay focused and to not lose our momentum and forget what our purpose is good news is it's not too late that's why we do what we do I'm gonna have the worship team come up and we're gonna close right now and maybe you're here this morning and you need to repent and you need to refocus it's free he's given to you his grace he's not yet returned he wants you to act and live as if he's returning today and plan like he's returning in a hundred years and to set your sight on things above your life soon will pass and only things done for Christ will last I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're gonna respond with communion this is believers communion for those who trust in jesus as their savior if that's you you can take communion today if that's not you you need to put your faith and trust in jesus christ the savior of your soul father in jesus name we thank you that you indeed have given to us your word as a lamp and as a light you've given to us your spirit lord as a guide and a helper you've given to us your body lord as an encourager lord and as a as one who would lead us and instruct us and Lord, you've done everything in order that we wouldn't get lost, that we wouldn't lose focus. You've gone before us. You've gone behind us. You've established our ways. And right now in Jesus' name, Lord, we simply ask for a greater dose of your Holy Spirit. If you need more Holy Spirit right now, would you just raise your hand? You're a Christian. You want to stay focused over the holidays? You need to repent right now. Raise your hand if you need to repent and you need more Holy Spirit. You want to be more dedicated to the kingdom of God. You've got minors, You've got talents. You know it. You don't want to have excuses anymore. Raise your hand if you don't want to have excuses. You're just repenting. You're apologizing. Lord, my hand is up too. Would you just expose our our excuses? Expose our excuses, Lord, our inabilities, that which we've just said. You know what? I'm just going to put it in a handkerchief. No big deal. Lord, we don't want that. Raise up your hand. If, If you're raising your hand right now, just raise it up a little higher. If you just let the Lord search you. Lord, you search my heart? Would you just turn over those rocks, those leaves that are just all funky? Don't, don't make big promises. Don't, don't say, Lord, I'll never do that again, or I'm going to get crazy, I'm going to start swinging. Don't, don't make promises. Instead, surrender. Raise up your hand even a little higher if you want to surrender. Lord, that's, that's me. Just say, yep, that's me. Lord, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. Would you put in me talent, Lord? Would you give me minus to invest? Give me, Lord, a hope of your return. And help me to plan as if you're not returning for 100 years to be that person that invests daily. You can put your hands down. Lord, would you take South Beach Church and all that we do this week and beyond and into December. Would you take it and just bless us? Lord, personally, I'm just, I'm a little frantic today. Just got so many things going on, and yet it's for you, and I want to do it right and want to do it well. And I pray for my brothers and sisters to get excited about seeking and saving the lost, about investing our days, our dollars, our deeds in the kingdom and in others. So when you return, you can say, what'd you do? Oh, Lord, I had so much fun. Your have produced such such fruit. You, you, your return is so big, Lord. Here, here's, here it is. And then you would say, let's go into eternity, my daughter. Let's go into eternity, my son. And that we'd be blessed, Lord, forever and ever. God, we need you. Would you bless the table now as we come to it and commune and repent? If you need to repent, if you've just been distracted or all over the place, or maybe you just gave your life to the Lord just a minute ago and you need to say thank you, Jesus, do so at the table. Don't just chew the bread and, shoot the the juice instead don't let it become religious to you thank him and honor him celebrate what he's done lord as we examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you return would you be honored we humbly do what we do now because you did bravely what you did for us we thank you in jesus name amen